Um, so, dear hey, hey, should we talk about last night? Oh, in public? With, all, did, the, with all these people listening? We did some role playing last night. Oh, we did. I dressed up. <laughs> I dressed you, up. You put makeup on. <laughs> I, put, I, put, I put face paint on. Please. Mm. It's makeup. Mm. It was makeup. <laughs> what did we do last night, Steve? We went to Secret Cinema. Preview. Yeah, a Secret Cinema preview. 10 year anniversary. 10 year anniversary Secret Cinema preview of Blade Runner. It's not a preview. A pre- it's not a preview of Blade Runner. That movie's been out for 30 years. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know about this up and coming actor, Harrison Ford. <laughs> He's got to be really big. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but we, for it, it's, it's, for people who don't know, Secret Cinema is like this immersive theater cinema event where, um, Disclosure, I work there. So I was just this, about to ask, yeah. can, can we tell them that you work there? Yeah, I, I work there. Um, uh, but it's, yeah, it's like this immersive theatre event where you we've basically taken over a warehouse and recreated downtown LA, Chinatown, and all of the major sets from the movie. And you go, it's filled with actors and stuff from the movie who who we kind of give explicit lines to and, and, and activities to. And everyone who attends is given the character and has to go and be a part of the movie. I was a scavenger. We were both scavengers. And we had a rich fiction developed where yeah. we were street husbands. Yeah, well, we never got to tell anybody that. But no, that was that's that's our secret. That's the backstory, that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was our method acting. But we were not only were we street husbands, but you were what was it? You were a disgraced Tyrell. You were a disgraced former Tyrell employee. Yeah, who, Tyrell being the corporation who make the replicants. Yeah, that, which are the robots. Yeah, that look just like people. And the reason I got fired was that I wouldn't stop making sex bots for my own personal pleasure. <laughs> that's why you were fired. Yeah. And you were the last one. And I was the last one. <laughs> And we lived on the streets together. We were yeah. very happy. We never got to tell anybody. I was like, I just need to tell my backstory. They'd be like, shut up, get in the box. <laughs> but, but hey, Steve, we knew. We knew. <laughs> we knew. We winked every so often. I know. Don't worry. I know. Oh, and I want to tell the best bit. Oh, so yeah. anybody that's aware of the movie knows that the main pro- antagonist is, or perhaps protagonist. Oh, it depends on your perspective. Depends on your perspective. Is this super tall, muscular, Swedish looking robot called Roy. He's got white hair. Yeah. So there was a there was a royal like as mm-hmm. part of the thing. He was mm-hmm. always walking around the Chinatown set that everyone gets to mingle in before they go into the screen, mm-hmm. looking but, really imposing. Oh, very really imposing. Looking yeah. very solemn. Like yeah. Very very. But like always with a small smile on his lips, just like a knowing smile. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. he's he's kind of going around and he'll like talk to people, put his arm around you, and just kind of look at you and nod and stuff. Mm. And we didn't really have any interaction with them. They were always like a little bit away, so we were pointing and looking. Oh, there's Roy. There's Pris. There's Deckard. But when we were walking into the screen. I turned, you were behind me, but I turned to my left. Yeah, and there so was Roy. Yeah, there was floods of people all going yeah. from the major Chinatown set into the cinema screen, which is like an extension of that set where we were going to watch the film. And as we were walking and being shepherded in with the crowds, I kind of fell slightly out of step behind you because Roy Batty, all six foot seven of him, <laughs> fell in line next to you. Yeah. And I was just looking back and forth at the two of you and he slowly starts looking down at you. And, <laughs> and he's perfectly, perfectly in character. And you look up at him and go, how are you, Roy? How are you, Roy? <laughs> and he responded by slowly, ever so slowly and tenderly raising his hand and putting it on your neck. Yeah. And he just left it there as yeah. we walked into the cinema but, screen. But then he also moved the hand from my neck to my shoulder and put and like started like leading me in front of him oh. with both of his hands on my shoulder. <laughs> and, you know, it's amazing to be part of the immersive cinema and all that. But I also get freaked out when strangers touch me. Yeah, yeah. Especially large strangers that could snap my neck should they choose to. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and also part of the final part of all of this, this story, uh, this event, we encourage people to bring memories because in the film, replicants are obsessed with memories. And so a cool little trope we developed was that uh, if you brought a hard copy picture of one of your own memories, you could use it as like a bartering chip for certain experiences within 
the secret cinema event. So you could use it to trade for another memory or you could use it to gain access somewhere. It's basically like an in-fiction currency for the world. You brought a picture from part two of our what I'm, who I'm Theodore Roosevelt yes. episode. It's the one where it's you hugging a framed picture of Teddy yes. on a teal background. Yes. You printed that out and brought it as a memory yes. claiming this was your granddad. That was my granddad was, hugging a picture of his granddad. Yes. So as we were entering the cinema and Roy Batty was about to climb up the scaffolding to take his place because as the movie plays out, all of the actors act out the movie as well. It's like half cinema, half theatre. He was climbing, he was about to climb the scaffold to take his place in the spotlight. You handed him your picture and he took it. I said, here, Roy, a present. Yeah, and he looked at it really solemnly. He held it up to my face and looked between the picture and the face. Yeah, and then you said, that's my granddad. And he like nodded and had that little smirk. Yeah. And he carried it with him slowly up the scaffolding into the spotlight. And he held it the whole way during the opening section of the whole performance. (laughs) Hundreds of people were looking at Roy Body, not realizing they were looking at a photograph from one amp politics. (laughs) And And then... Before it all began, before the movie properly began, he he like he held it up and he looked at it in front of everyone, just nodding, and then slowly slipped it into his pocket. Lights went to black, and then Ridley Scott's name came up, yeah. and the show began. I got chills. I got to remember to ask you again in like three months' time to find the actor and ask him what did he do with the picture. I yeah. hope to God it stays in the trench coat for the entire production. That'd be me. I'll try to find out. That'd be so good. Good night. That was great. Thank you to Secret Cinema and you're welcome for the unasked for paid adver- unpaid advertising. Yeah, yeah, the rambling anecdote is barely advertising, but I will put a link to the sh- tickets in the show notes. It's an amazing experience. Anybody can get a chance to go to it. And if you're in London or you live in London, do. Um, yeah, let me know if you're going because I can just go in and out and I'll, I'll go meet you and say hi. There you go. I'll show you around. I'll so you, you get an immersive what I'm politics, which is, you know, way better than immersive Blade Runner. <laughs> it's what Richie's trying to say. <laughs> We got a lot to get through today, Steve. We got some guests to bring in, so we should just get just get right to the news. Okay, news. Um, this is a three-week-old story, but I don't. <laughs> Do you know what news is? <laughs> it's still going. It's still ongoing. <laughs> but I don't think we talked about it last time. No. Uh, so Sergey Scripple, who is that's probably definitely a mispronunciation of a surname. Yeah. And his daughter, um, Sergey, was a former Russian spy who was caught as a double agent in Russia and was in prison for a couple of years. But then as part of a spy swap with the UK, he moved to the UK and the Russia got one of their spies. Spy in swap is my favourite channel for uh, documentary series. <laughs> <laughs> what spies have you got in your attic and how much are they worth? <laughs> uh, kind of like that. So he's been living in Salisbury, which is a nice town in the southwest of England. It was Just, mentioned on the show before. Yeah, because I went there. The yeah. Terry Pratchett Museum was there. Mm-hmm. I went to a couple of the places that have been mentioned as people being at risk of nerve agent damage. Could have been you. Could have, but it wasn't because yeah. I wasn't there at the same time. They were found on a ben- park bench, uh, pretty much passed out and in serious trouble. So mm-hmm. a policeman helped them and got them to hospital. And then he fell ill as well. Sure. And it took a while for the UK authorities. And there's a bit of criticism here, probably legitimately so, to not figure out that there's something kind of strange about a former Russian spy suddenly taking ill. And then the guy that was helping him also taking ill all of a sudden. Yeah, it sounds so, like the prologue to a, to like a, a movie. <laughs> Yeah. Like an espionage movie. Well, this whole thing has been playing out like some sort of a, a, a La Cara no, novel. Mm. And it turned out that a very particular nerve weapon was used 
to Nova, poison him. Novichok 5? Novichok 5, yeah. yeah. You learned it off by heart. And you I keep learned on it off by it. heart. And I just keep going, going, keep going back to that well. <laughs> that nerve agent can only be made or is only made in a factory in central Russia. Mm-hmm. And nobody else has access to it. Mm-hmm. And as far as we know, the Russians don't just hand it out willy-nilly. They kind of keep it to themselves. Didn't Last year, didn't they, they claim to have destroyed 40,000 discrete chemical weapons agents like that? Last year, they did like a big clear out of everything as apparently it was like almost 40,000. So do you think this is something that during that process kind of went missing from the warehouse or there was some sort of... They'll certainly try and lean towards stories like that. Yeah. I am 99% sure it was Russian government. There was a Russian sanction, a Russian government sanctioned yeah. hit on this former spy mm-hmm. because nobody crosses with big boss Putin anymore. Right. Which is what it's trying to do. So except, anyway. Ex- hey, except us. Except us. We, yeah. We ain't scared of you. Although, yeah, yeah, yesterday someone came up and offered us cupcakes for free in a bag and our immediate reaction was, oh, that's a that's a, an agent of Putin right there. No, no, we leaned towards it was probably Kim Jong-un because he oh, also yeah. does. He also uses nerve agents in public places to kill his enemies. Everyone's it, out to get us. It's a dictator of choices. Well. It. But yeah. legitimately, someone came up to us in a coffee shop with a, a bag with two cupcakes in it. Uh, what did they say? They said... Uh, Do you I, want these? No, I, said, I got these from my mate, but he's a wanker. Do you want these? And we kind of just nodded and she left them and then we immediately threw them out because yeah. again, it's got it's got to be one of them. <laughs> um, so all this has done is that the UK have actually come out and pretty much said, we're nearly sure it was you that did this, Russia. Yeah. Russia have gone, no, it's not. Uh, the US and all of UK's NATO allies have rallied around the UK because this is actually a, another government employing nerve weapons on another country's sovereign territory and it's actually ended up with nearly 29 people in Salisbury also having like physical effects from the nerve agents. Yeah, because it's, all you have to do is have like skin contact with... Tiny little skin yeah, contact. that's and, it. And um, Sergey and his daughter were walking around town for a couple of hours before they actually fell ill. Yeah. So no one's even sure how they got the nerve agent into him. Um, Russia are refusing to take blame and it's just causing more and more tension. The mm. UK expelled diplomats from their the Russian embassy in London, and Russia in turn expelled the exact same number of diplomats from the very, Moscow embassy. Very poetic. Yeah, fair, well, yeah, tit for tat. <laughs> um, Russia don't really seem to care. They're, they're just saying, yeah, whatever, you can blame us if you want, but we didn't do it. And mm. Putin went ahead and won his fourth term as president by a pretty handy margin mm-hmm. yesterday. So all this is really going to do is there may be further sanctions on Russian... Um, moneyed interest in London in the future perhaps or in Europe and the US as well mm-hmm. but ultimately it's just going to further inflame tensions between the East and the West mm-hmm. bringing us back to the cliched Cold War situation Should I be scared? How scared should I be? Um, not that scared just don't don't become a spy and piss and off Putin And don't eat cupcakes from strangers Don't eat cupcakes from strangers I'm Although already halfway there so The most likely point that they're looking for where the nerve agent put in could have been in the air conditioning system of the dude's car <sighs> Ooh. So it's just such a, it's such an inefficient way. We were talking about this the other day, like this this particular toxin. Like it just it it it's it's so visceral. Like it leaves it's messy. Yeah, it just seems like a really horrible way of going about this. They could have used anything. I mean, they didn't have to go and use a nerve agent only made in Central Russia. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cyanide or something. Yeah. I mean, what of all those different ways you have to kill people? Oh, I got a bunch. I'll show you my book. <laughs> uh, other news. Last week was St. Patrick's Week, so the Irish government did its thing of touring itself around the world going, mm-hmm. hey, look at us, we're Irish, come do trade deals with us. 
Um, Leo Varadkar, as is traditional, the Taoiseach went to the United States. Mm-hmm. He went to a couple of events around Boston and DC and New York and stuff. The, the usual thing of dropping off a pot of shamrocks. Yep, he did that on a Friday, no, Thursday, I can't remember if it was, it might have been Thursday afternoon or Friday afternoon mm-hmm. to the White House because apparently Trump wasn't going to be in town on actual St. Patrick's Day on the weekend, so they had to do it then. Christ. He had to go down to uh, Florida to make that tan a bit better. better. <laughs> um, but they met, apparently. It was kind of cordial. Last year, our last Taoiseach, Andy Kenny, invited Trump to Ireland, and Leo just said that invitation is still open. And there is a recording of him saying that he actually wouldn't want to invite Donald Trump to the White House. Before he was Taoiseach, he said this on tape. He wouldn't want to invite Donald Trump to the White House. To, to Ireland. Sorry. <laughs> Leo doesn't want to invite Donald Trump, Trump to, to his own house. <laughs> what, a, what a stance. It's my house now. Get away. Is that so, Leo? That, yeah, that's, that's my Leo Ramker impression. Okay, it's, it's, it's flawless. Flawless. <laughs> Sublime. Uh, Leo's been criticised a little bit for that. But, you know, the people also shrug their shoulders and go, well, he said that first when he wasn't Taoiseach and now he's Taoiseach. So he's representing Ireland and not his own opinions anymore. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. But the thing he's getting in a bit more trouble for mm-hmm. is he made a joke about um, when he was the Minister for Tourism, he said he intervened on Donald Trump's behalf to stop a windmill plant being built beside Donald Trump's golf course down in Kerry. Really? Which has been an ongoing saga that Donald Trump wants to stop this golf course being built beside his, stop this wind, um, these wind turbines being built beside his golf course right. because it's going to make it look less nice. Mm-hmm. And Leo was like, oh yeah, you know, I, I helped Mr. Trump before he was president and all this. And First, people were like, ha, 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 but then people aren't like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's, there's a bit of a rigmarole about it. Um, it looked like it was a slip of the tongue that he shouldn't have said. And he actually had to go and investigate what, what he said he did. And he's now tripping himself up. First, he said he contacted the council. Then they checked his emails and his notes. And it turns out he actually contacted the Irish Tourism Board. And it's, it, it no doubt will end up being some sort of a slap on the wrist from the doll saying yeah. that you shouldn't be intervening on business leaders behalf which yeah it's good it's, yeah and even just as like a bad political move for a Taoiseach that's known as the PR Teflon Taoiseach mm. it was a silly thing to do yeah, for sure yeah <laughs> for sure if he had just not said anything nobody would have really realised yeah exactly, exactly. Um, Brexit Brexit there hasn't been anything incredibly newsworthy about Brexit, but I have to make Brexit the third story. You have to. I was going to say you have to because people have read the episode description yeah. on this, this. So as like a really subtle segue, let's just say that for once a good story came out today, Monday the nineteenth of March. Yeah. Um, they're actually happy with how talks are going. Really, define that. happy. Define um, talks. Define going. <laughs> Barnier, who is the EU lead negotiator, and uh, David Davis, who is the UK negotiator. David Davis. Yes. Excellent. Or David Davies. Both great names. Yeah. Either way, it's like David, 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 David. So nice. They named him twice, kind of. They are both going to give a joint press conference to say that we're kind of happy with how talks are going today. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's towards the transition period. They still haven't gotten into the yeah. actual talkie yes. talks. Yeah. So yeah, but it, yeah, it's it's progress. Um, but luckily, we talk about it way more with way, two people who probably know way more than we do. Certainly more than I do. Yeah. Oh, don't don't sound so sure of yourself there. <laughs> that yeah. Well, you're including me on that as well. Oh yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, another one on politics patented flawless segue. <laughs> It's okay, Richie, don't worry. I'm there for you. Stop that. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Stop. Well, don't whisper it. Don't whisper it. first one. What are we going to call another one? Stop that. You're going to have a really like movie. Yeah. Yeah. So beautiful. Oh my god, so hard. You know in horror movies when they use whispers as a means of uh, like activating tension? That's basically what this is for me. Because I'm the only person wearing headphones. 
jazz. It's going to be beautiful. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm going to be the best man and the bridesmaid. It's going to be so gorgeous. You're going to... Okay, he just said, when we get married, he's going to be the best man and the bridesmaid. <laughs> I can do I'm whatever okay I want. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be your best man and jazz's bridesmaid. Or, 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 or so is, is, is it going to be like Jimmy dress from the me. halfway down and then suit? No, no, no. Like no it's 50-50 split. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, split. Like his her kind of thing, yeah. Mm. Jimmy, you know, Jimmy, you know the Jimmy way, can be flower girl. Yes. Yeah. You know the way you guys have a formal introduction to your podcast where you actually explain like the premise and stuff? Mm. Yeah. This is now the introduction to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Okay. okay. Uh, hi. Uh, <laughs> do you, you guys want to say your name? Just so people can associate your name to your voice? Jazza. This is my voice. I'm the more high-pitched English person in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, I'm apparently the lower-pitched you, do, you are actually. Now that yeah. you pointed out, yeah, yeah. You've got, you've it got, makes we, more we, easy. We're actually saying if if you're listening to 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 so we us listening to you, it's actually hard hard for us to distinguish between your voices because to our ears they're quite you're similar. racist. Yes, yes, because I'm racist. <laughs> because, <laughs> I can see I can see the Brexit Brexit abuse is always there. <laughs> But I, I'm sure it's the same thing with you when you listen to two English people speak. No. 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 Not at all, really. Uh, generally, yeah. when I hear two English people speak, I hear two distinct separate no, you, live in, you, you live in London, so it doesn't count. No, no, it's like... So, Steve, speak for your nation. We also grew up watching your television, and you didn't grow up watching our television. Okay, no, so we have Graham Norton. He doesn't yeah. sound Irish. He doesn't at all. What is that accent? He, do, he does when he's incredulous. And he gets <laughs> yeah. very high-pitched and cork. Mm. But normally when he's speaking, he's a bit more... But he's from Wicklow. I thought he was cork. Oh. Seriously? Yeah. Oh. Right, well, what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? Nothing I thought about Graham Norton. Okay, apparently, apparently, yeah, mm. apparently my Graham Norton. What am Graham Norton, Steve? That's the new topic of this episode. He's a man from Wicklow. That's what man we know. from Wicklow. Yeah, and, uh, we yeah, he's great. But we are joined by the Right Dishonorable podcast today. You can probably tell by the new voices we have. We. More English voices. We. We, we, <laughs> we indeed, Jazza. Actually, one caveat up top. We've just come back from the pub. Which it's St. Patrick's Day. It's St. Patrick's it, Day. Yeah. That's our excuse. Can we just say? No. Mm. Can we all recognize what happened on St. No. Patrick's Day? Steve, tell me all about it. Uh, so there's a game called Rugby. Rug, rugby? Rugby. 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 From the town of Rugby in yeah, England. I'm mm-hmm. fr- familiar. It's a sport that they enforced upon us in their colonial ways mm. that we adapted and, and, and used for ourselves. And, mm. and some of the almost <laughs> turned into a weapon to use against them. Exactly. And on St. Patrick's Day, the most Irish of days, we came back to England and we kicked their ass mm-hmm. and we won the Six Nations. We'd already won the Six Nations. So like, it was just like, there's no skin. But, there, but there's actually a few things it. more British than teaching other nations to play our sports better than us. Oh. Don't take this away. Uh, don't, don't stop, <laughs> stop that now. No, it, it's, this is it's, our it's more of like, well done. You did what we wanted you to do. It was actually a part of this, this was grand the pa- master this plan. Eight hundred years of yeah. oppression were leading to this moment. Exactly. Is what exactly. <laughs> Damn it! They got us again. No, we could never do anything. Uh, speaking of which, speaking of of, of very charged and loaded sentences, <laughs> what are we going to be talking about today, Steve? Come buckets. Come. <laughs> Hold on. Let me check my notes. I have different... I, I have, have different notes. Mm, yeah. Oh, uh, the other thing, Brexit. Come, uh, my notes, come buckets, is mentioned at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, let, me, let me just bring up my thesaurus. Oh, yeah, no, no, they can mean the same thing. That's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, thesaurus is a very French-sounding word. What's that word again? <laughs> thesaurus. There we go. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Flashback. <laughs> okay, this is also, yeah, if you want to get the full benefit of this Yeah, podcast, if you want to know context. You'll need to listen to the part one, which is over on the Right Dishonorable podcast feed. Mm-hmm. This is like when, when the Flintstones had a crossover with the Jetsons. 
or which is which? That makes me so happy. <laughs> which is which? We actually, we're definitely the first. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm happy with being the Jetsons. I'm, I'm 100 percent okay with really? that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't remember anything about the Jetsons. The I know future. that the fashion was better. <laughs> The Flintstones? Yeah. I Leopard think so. print never goes out of style. Are you kidding me? <laughs> well, you can't go out of style if you're never in style. That's true. Oh. <laughs> Jimmy with the you burn. You let Jimmy get on top of us. Oh my God. I opened myself up and invited that. But no, we're talking about Brexit part two. Part two. Part two. Almost part two. a part two. Part two. I thought we should give it the No, French. we can't have any European we can't language. Have any no, 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 we are. We are European, Jazza. We are here to enforce our will upon you. No, but isn't there a problem with the fact that English as isn't actually the official language of any nation once the UK leaves? And it's so the, it's now an official the, language in India. And, but, and, and, and India are not a part of the European Union. Well, you, said, you, you said it's not an official language. Jazza, can I just point out that you're at the table with two Irish guys where English is an official language and we're still part of the EU? No, but so I, I think, no, in terms of how it's registered, I think Ireland, Irish is registered no. as the official language. Dual, dual languages. No, but in the European yeah. Union, it's not part of your membership to. No, it is. No, they, they literally did translated. an entire podcast on this, which yeah. I listened to. Sorry, gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. <laughs> I also, I researched. Can I get quiet, please? I'm going to need this if we're going to have these kind of discussions. <laughs> I'm so glad that we're getting into the cut and thrust. I didn't think it would be with you, Jazz. Ireland is a dual language nation and both of them are registered as our official languages with the European Union. Okay, cool. That's we had fine. to fight to get them to register Irish as a second dual language, mm-hmm. a second official language, because it is. In our constitution, we have both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Irish takes is the first official language and English is the second one. Is that um, not how it works? You listened to the podcast more recently than I yeah, did. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, 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 <laughs> I listened to it last night. So. Okay. But also there is, there's, there's also Malta who also have dual language, but I don't think they register English as one of their languages at the European Union. It's just Maltese. Yeah, but granted, if you go to Malta, most people don't speak English in general, whereas in Ireland... It's a, no, do. it's pretty bilingual. Not in the place I was in. I've actually, I've actually, yeah, been, I've actually been to Malta and I don't recall at all. No. <laughs> I, I was, was drunk, I was drunk the whole time. I want to interject, but offer nothing. <laughs> That's Richie's role in all of what I am. But no, we're going to talk about Brexit part two because it's been part two. Part, part two. Because it's basically been a year. It's been a year, almost. Yeah, we almost did, exactly we, yeah. a year. Yeah, 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 yeah almost yeah. exactly a year since we talked about it properly. Like mm-hmm. dedicated a whole episode to because it. Because it's two years since we voted to leave. Mm. Oh, look at that. You can't hear smiles over audio, which is a shame, but there's a big shit-eating grin happening around this table right now. And it's coming uh, from Jazza. So for any of your listeners that don't know, uh, Jimmy voted leave, I voted to remain. So that's um, actually how you guys open your own podcast. Yeah, that's like, that's yeah, part yeah. of your intro. You mentioned you voted to leave. You've mentioned you voted to remain. Mm-hmm. Do you feel since you've like taken ownership of this on an almost <laughs> weekly basis, like has your life changed in any way in terms of an, an own... You're, like how you look at yourself or how people interact with you because you now mention this like as as like a on a public platform there is a there's a genuine thing that um in my professional life i if if people talk about brexit i don't mention that i voted remain i right. should say i'm like a metropolitan um journalist so right, like yeah. in professional circles yeah the assumption is you're if you meet university educated people that they voted remain so if they sound like you Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. But um, Jimmy didn't. Uh, Jimmy's not university educated. I'm not. No. He's that educated is. on the streets. Yeah, yes. of journalism. 
<laughs> but do you feel like do you feel like because you're 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 talking like have you had different interactions now that you're you're mentioning this publicly like within your circles? Uh, no one I meet in my personal life listens to the podcast. Okay, so, um, keep that segregated. But it, it, it was I mean it was Jazz's idea to actually announce it at the start of every <laughs> podcast, and we have guests on occasionally, mm. and uh, often they haven't listened they, to they, the they, podcast. They make beforehand. a face when they see that I voted leave. Really? Yeah. Did we make a face earlier? I hope so. <laughs> it was a supportive face. It was an all-inclusive face. But like, but like the, the reason that we have that intro, that distinct intro now, is kind of because there is this ridiculous difference between, like, there's meant to be two Britons now of those who voted leave and those who voted remain. Mm. And Jimmy and I, we have banter, but we actually quite like each other, and it's quite possible to still have conversations about politics and Which be is able good. to have, yeah, yeah, and to be able to, like, we agree on most things, mm. um, uh, but we fall on kind of different sides of the divide of, like, the defining question that our generation and that the uk has been asked in like however many years mm. um and we're trying we're trying are we trying i mean a, a friend of mine on the day of the brexit vote mm. um te- like text into a group chat i know nobody who voted leave apart from me obviously right, yeah. but like i think that's quite a common thing is mm. either most people you know voted leave or most people you know voted remain there's there's quite a stark divide for sure and that's kind of why i asked the question because you are within my own sphere, the only person I know who, who voted that way and who also and publicly you know announces. And day. Yeah, we know <laughs> Not even. a couple of hours. We've yeah. had some drinks. Um, but yeah, I wanted to ask, was there any sort of change in, in, in perception? But we've, we've dealt with that already. Should we get right into it then? Sure. So it happened a year ago that you guys actually went and declared that you were going to officially leave with Article 50 being triggered. I mean, Theresa May did it. Like, we didn't. Jazza wasn't there. Jazza didn't yeah, push the big red button. She didn't, she didn't, she didn't ask. You're, well, she did a year <laughs> she before. Did, she did ask. Te- technically, there was, there was a big asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said no repeatedly. Very loudly. And uh, a bit has changed in UK politics since then. We should probably go over just to give people the context. If you haven't been paying attention to UK politics in a year, you guys had a general election. Mm-hmm. I keep forgetting that it happened, <laughs> to be completely honest. Because it was so snappy, almost. Uh, yeah, almost it was a, like a it snap. Was a snap general election. <laughs> no, nice. very good, though. I see what you did. Um, <laughs> it's an audio medium, so as much as I can bring in this kind of thing. Um, I feel like the reason that it kind of gets overlooked so much is because very little in, cur- in terms of the legislature actually changed. The only thing that has changed is that Jeremy Corbyn now gets taken seriously as somebody who could win an election. And yeah. Theresa May is no longer taken seriously. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I feel like she was never really, there there aren't a huge amount of like aficionados of Theresa May as an individual. And, and there, there was kind there, of There played. was a big sea change yeah. in how she was perceived. Though. I'll like, challenge up, you on that one. Yeah. Up, up until the election, she was seen as this domineering, yeah. all-conquering force. I think and they tried. immediately afterwards, it switched over. Yeah, yeah because- but they, I think that they tried to peddle that idea of her being strong and stable. Like that, that phrase that kept on getting repeated throughout the election campaign. But obviously people didn't buy it. And I think it was something that was quite top-down rather than grassroots. I don't think that the British public really ever kind of bought that because even as a as, as a home secretary to her credit she's the longest serving home secretary we've had in several decades and that's a really big that that's a commendable thing I mean, is to that be. that to her credit or does that just say more about how cameron yeah, ran his administration no, perhaps but like she was never particularly remarkable as a home secretary either nobody really had a huge opinion of her people knew that um the police didn't like her a huge amount and that she um, commissioned those racist fans that told people to 
go home. Um, uh, but uh, I, Richie, I, Richie, look aghast there. Um, for context, she sorry. Actually, should I add the gasp in? Or? Aghast. I said. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> Richie looked aghast. <laughs> <laughs> um, she actually paid for trucks to drive around areas with high levels of immigrants around here, actually, around in East London. Yeah, to um, tell people that maybe they should think about going home. It was anti-illegal immigration. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it was specifically, if you are here illegally, turn yourself into the home office so we can send you home. You know those, so it was you know those, you know those trucks to drive around and say, if you have robbed something, go and tell a police officer? Actually, oh, I mean, that's yeah. when I handed in that yeah. TV that time. Yeah, it just yeah, got yeah, to my conscience. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't really racist at all. Uh, no, it was um, uh, divisive and therefore yes, feeds it, into it, it wider divided racism. between people who were obeying the law and people who were disobeying the law. Um, it uh, made people, it would encourage people to end up questioning who around them who was from, hey, who wasn't from Richie, the UK. Hey, Richie, yeah, yeah what's I, I got to tell you a side note here. Yeah. We're at the table with a competent conservative. <laughs> so you, you got to be careful here. Steve. Nothing, nothing in the training you've given me over the past years that has trained me to deal with kind of concerns. I've only given you liberal if you've snowflakes been, yeah, yeah, yeah. and left-leaning yeah. people, and now we actually have somebody that has opposing views, and not only that, but they're actually good at talking about them. Can I ask like a ser- sincere question? Yeah, yeah. If I start crying, like what happens? <laughs> He's, I don't know, actually. Can, okay, here's another question. Can, can he smell fear? Can we also say Jimmy yeah. isn't a conservative? Well, I mean, also, a, also yeah, probably not competent. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, this is kind of the thing. Jimmy and I we differ on a load of things, including the European Union. But we land on the uh, we are pretty fucking centrist in terms of like our opinions on the way that like taxation should happen, on the way that the skill like, is really should be how governed. much we argue, given how much we agree. Granted, yes. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. I was being facetious for the point of like having a funny podcast. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. But we'll, yes. we'll, we'll be less that is actually, serious. That is, something, that is something worth saying. Yeah, I was I was leaning towards that the fact that the, the opinions that Jimmy are putting out are like centrist to the center-right-ish, but not even that hard center-right-ish. Mm-hmm. But that's not something that ever gets covered in the fucking liberal left-wing. Yeah, right. Sure. The idea, the idea of the, yeah, I mean, yeah. you can speak to this, Jimmy, but the idea of the people that voted Brexit, they're like, yeah. racism oh, gets thrown around an awful lot. Um, uh, and it tends to be characterized as something from like the north of the country, which Jimmy definitely isn't. Um, you don't want to speak to that at all. Cool. Okay, so, no. <laughs> the, the thing is like, this is, you, you use the word racism quite loosely and mm. I understand why you, why you do it. And there is, it's somewhat legitimate, but the whole, I don't understand the whole like controversy about illegal versus legal migration. Mm. I think if you're going to have controls, they do need to be enforced. Otherwise, why have controls in the first place? So when the Guardian, for instance, got really upset at that quote, racist van driving around, I was just like confused personally. Right. Like if you, if you, if you don't think there should be very strict controls, just say that it's not a problem in that sense. Do you see what I'm saying? Kinda. I just think that having a van driving around an area with a lot of people with a different color skin of the majority of the population is a bad way to go about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's also like, I mean, why would you hang yourself in? Because yes, like, I mean, like know, it was just if anything, it was a publicity stunt for her to try and put the Conservative Party more in the UKIP side of things. That's what that was. 
Yeah. It wasn't actually a, a properly good policy tactic. Oh, yeah, I do. I'd certainly agree and with as, that. But as, I also don't understand why people were so offended by because, a, because the, of the, the government advertising what the law is. Because you're not supposed to advertise what the law is. Where is the poster saying, do not stab Jimmy in the face right now outside this, build, outside this room? It's not there. Yeah, I, that's true. Yeah, you don't need to advertise what the law is. It's the law. The reason that they put those posters up was to try and show that the Conservative Party were tough on immigration and to try and fight against the UK base. So, mm, yeah, so, I'd agree with that. So I, I, I don't kill Jimmy just to eliminate podcast competition? Oh, no, you definitely do that. Okay. You just don't get caught. Okay. It's fine. Just so we know. That's fine. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, you were saying that Corbyn is now considered a legitimate threat to the establishment and potentially if there was another election because of whatever reason, he could be prime minister. I mean, I would that say that was not the way it was a year ago. It wasn't the way it was a year ago, but obviously, pundits have no idea how elections work. So them suddenly going, "Oh yeah, he's got a real chance," and it's like, "Well, you called the last election really wrong." So, and there's also the whole question about saturation. Like Jeremy Corbyn has did get forty percent, or sorry, the Labour Party got forty percent of the vote last time, and I believe Conservatives got forty-two. Yeah, so, it? So in terms of the popular, they vote, both got around. Yeah, it doesn't really count in your broken first past the post no, system. No, do, tell sorry, us about do, it. Do you have a proportional representation <laughs> yeah. system? We do. We Multiple do. seat constituencies, a proportional representation. So you just have a vote, and they just allocate seats nationally, depending on which parties get the most. Oh, no, 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 no. no. You, vote, you vote for candidates within your constituency, and you vote in order of preference, one to. Okay. The number of candidates, and then based on those, you have transfers to decide who has the most. So it ends up being proportional anyway. Kind, or? it's like there are still criticisms of it, but ultimately, it is. This is the hilarious thing about um, you guys, you UK guys, <laughs> the nations that you left. You actually in the in like the uh, the 1900s and the early 20th century, you guys decided, which is the same thing. You guys decided that um, you wanted to make sure that they had more democracy in terms of proportional representation because we're be better off for the areas that you're leaving. So you enforce that the regimes that were taking over when you left to have more PR. No, I would I would counteract that. The I I I understand the An English um, guy that knows history. I wasn't expecting <laughs> that. I, I understand the reasons behind that. Um because uh in British politics the idea of having a majority in parliament having a single party in the majority of parliament and being stable in that sense is incredibly important and so the reason that proportionate systems were put in place was so that no one party would be able to govern um uh, on their own oh, okay so i was giving you guys the benefit of the doubt but yeah no we're, no we're really, really evil and sure, look look how well it has worked for you with your stable government right now no no <laughs> I know. Well, both Jimmy and I, we both want proportionate systems because it's fuck. It, it, like the current system is ridiculous. Yeah. Just to say, um, you guys don't have a civil government. You have a minority government propped up by the DUP. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I'm the democratic union. Can I just take a second to like give some context? You Please, guys yeah. in the right disarmable both have mic stands and boom arms. Steve and I both are holding our mics in our hands, and now I'm realizing I think that's because Steve wants to do a mic drop at some point, and, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he's building to right now. At some point, there's going to oh, be a class yeah, and it's because he's got to drop the, the mic. Once I heard there wasn't enough microphones, I was like, yeah. That's my chance. <laughs> I got my chance. It's, I'm not going to do that. This is my mic. This is, No, this is my mic. Oh, That's okay, my I'm mic. Drop it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I had to argue Steve down from a rap battle style format for this podcast collaboration. Hey, come for me, bro. Steve, stop a beat. Shano Goff. Oh, the English came for me. And that's it. That's so you it. sang on the Right Dishonorable podcast and now you're singing on ours. <laughs> stop singing on podcasts. I'm really bad at singing too. <laughs> Which is the traditional Irish way. There you go. And they never stopped us before. Yeah, so actually, we were bringing it up and 
we have to go back to talking about Brexit because that's what we do. Yeah. Um, Northern Ireland still doesn't have a government since a year ago. So the last time, I don't know. Do you guys know much about Northern Irish politics? No. I assume, assume we know nothing. <laughs> well, I mean, Jazza just said yes, but he really meant Jimmy, no. Jimmy, we've literally covered it on our podcast before. Jazza really meant no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, we, we understand what the, like, co-share agreement is meant to be. Um, we Power understand sharing. that... Huh? Power sharing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and the problematic to say the least way that the democratic unionist party have been brought in as a, um, a kind of like support for the conservative government um especially as kind of like a regionalist and uh, divisive regional government in terms of wider um northern irish politics we're not hugely good i think the thing is that um well as i said to you before we start recording this in london based uh, political news, Northern Ireland does not feature. Like, right, yeah. even the fact that Northern Ireland has not had a government for... Yeah. I mean, you know, it, that, that, that does not appear week to week. On, on, on mainland Britain, in general, to be I mean, honest. one of the things I noticed about the whole DUP controversy is that the option, one of the implications of it is that neither of the main parties in Northern Ireland can actually sit in a London-based government, which... When, well, in, in the sense of like, it, if you're the Tory party, you shouldn't make a deal with one of those two parties because it prejudices how Northern Irish pol- politics is dealt what with. What do you mean they can't sit? As in, it, when, when Theresa May made the deal with the DUP, people yeah. were like, that's going to really upset the power balance in Northern Ireland because yeah. you don't have a London government that's in hock to one of the parties as opposed yeah. to the other one. Um, and from like a point of view of representation, that's really kind of squiffy because in, in the sense of you vote for an MP in Northern Ireland who sits in Westminster. But then no, in theory, like if you vote for an MP, they should be able to be part of the government. But in practice, they can't be part of the government, which in, in the sense of how like British government works in general, it's really ad hoc and really like just made up on the spot. That makes total sense. But in the sense of like as a Northern Irish citizen, shouldn't you be able to have an MP who can sit in a London government? Do you see what I mean? Perspective. <laughs> no, I understand why it's I understand why it's broken out that way, but I just thought that's a really weird implication, ultimately. And there's also kind of been a lack of a a, a willingness to really understand why the Northern Irish kind of like situation is as it is. There's been a lot of discussion and like pontification from it's mainly London-based journalists who are like, well, what if Sinn Féin actually decided to take up their seats in Parliament? And I'm like, do you realise why they exist? Like they don't see Westminster as a legitimate government to govern Northern Ireland. They are not and they're never going to sit in Westminster. And where they see where they have power is in the Northern Irish Assembly, where they get to govern for the people that they see as like being the people that they legitimately govern for. And there's an embarrassingly low amount of understanding of um, uh, like British Irish history um, uh, that doesn't give any of that any kind of a context. And because the Northern Irish border comes up as like such, a, it's, it's a really big issue yeah, when it comes it's to right like up the, there with trade in terms of the, the hanging points of the Brexit negotiations. Yeah, right. And I don't think. I, I will say I don't think it necessarily needs to be. There are soft borders with um, non-members of the European Union that exist in other parts of the EU, like Norway and Sweden is a really interesting one that I think that isn't hugely surveillance. But I think that the history of um, uh, like the Northern Irish border means that it needs to be taken a lot more seriously and there needs to be a lot more understanding of it. And that just hasn't existed in the debates that we've had on this side of the IOC. 
And do you think that's because of like we spoke about earlier, the just general awareness that that you guys have based on your education system yeah. on Irish? Like I like I, I was telling you guys in our podcast, I don't I didn't know that there was even an Irish war of independence until a couple of years ago. Yes. I was I was genuinely taught in a school that is allowed to teach children that after World War One we gave the Irish independence because as a thank you for fighting alongside us. It was like a gift certificate that we got. It was literally, literally Amazon gift certificate. There yeah. you go. Buy a couple of books for yourself. Good for one independence. Um, and, I, and, and two thirds off. Because <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get the north. <laughs> Sorry, I was drinking while you were saying. <laughs> oh, let's just stop. That's the best joke in the podcast. <laughs> Fuck, that was great. So we talked a bit about UK politics, but we should also bring a bit of context on what's going on in the EU for the last year because there are two sides to the whole Brexit thing. What? Oh yeah, it's not just and you guys talking to yourselves, riding around in circles. There's a new French president, Macron. Oh, I love him so much. You do? Mm. Why? Well, one, he's hot. He's very handsome. He's, he's very, very, small, he's very short looking. It doesn't matter. Yeah, he's, but doesn't he's a very he's a very sharp face? Yeah, he's compact. Is, yeah, he's like a little sparrow or something. Sparrow? Is that what you're into? Yeah, I'm really into avian like yeah, figures. I think, I think he's shorter than me. So really, yeah. that does change things. Um, uh, no, he's brilliant because, uh, like, he's unabashedly y- a Europhile, pro um, and he's basically me if I were French and a president. Oh, uh, yeah, oh, like, like a centrist, <laughs> handsome man. Yes. <laughs> oh, stop it! You. <laughs> oh, I did boys. it. I did it. Please, boys. I, did it. I was just about to make fun of Jazza for like falling in love with himself, but clearly, <laughs> Richie, you were too enamored <laughs> with him. I am hot on his heels. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. I'm not sure how much of that has actually changed what's been going on in Brexit, though. No, I, I would agree. Well, because it's because it's a it's an EU negotiation. It's not a French, German, Spanish, Italian negotiation. Although, like we have had um, Leo Varadkar have a big say in specifically around the border issue, but that's because it specifically affects Ireland. We literally have notes here that says Ireland has a new quote unquote no nonsense Taoiseach brackets lol <laughs> why is it brackets lol because you guys think he's great but we think he's in spanner uh, I don't isn't think isn't that no, a general no, no, thing about like looking at foreign politics it's like oh Angela Merkel she's super competent but if you're German like yeah, you she's like, probably Pff. think that yeah yeah nobody think well, although the only thing is that nobody thinks that May is good <laughs> You guys don't yeah, have a good that's, Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. I mean, no one thinks Trump's good either, so I guess that was no, there, there, there are a bunch of people in America who think Trump's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a Hopefully huge they'll forget to vote again. Yeah, maybe. That is true. They say that it is EU 27, so we shouldn't take in the influence of one leader. But still, France is more important than the will of Luxembourg in these things. Sorry, when you say EU 27, what do you mean? The 27 who are left once we leave. Oh, uh, okay. I didn't know what that. He was in the notes. I didn't know what that. <laughs> meant. It's twenty eight until until the we, we March twenty nineteen. Okay. I will. I'm going to put a seed in here. I don't think it's going to happen. But anyway, really, we can come back to that let's later. Put a pin in like. that. Yeah. Let's put a pin right. Circle pin back in later. Put Jazz's face. Pin in that. Let's, um, let's put a pin. No, it's a good thing. Okay, <laughs> Jazza, you pulled the rug out from from the rest of my talk about the EU politics by saying that you don't think it matters, apart from the Irish part, but. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's going to matter more and more as we get into the nitty gritty of what they're actually negotiating. I wouldn't say I don't think it 
matters. I think in terms of the actual negotiations and what the UK and the EU get out of these negotiations, I don't think that Macron is particularly important. How I do think he's important is that he changes kind of like the tone around how we talk about the European Union. And because, uh, especially for metropolitan metropolitan liberal elites like us, he um, is kind of he's the kind of leader that we were used to having under kind of like a blair and people are kind of pining for that kind of leadership i think (laughs) blair was is the most successful labor prime minister in terms of elections that we've ever had and yeah he invaded the most successful tory prime minister and but that's not a good thing either. Yeah, it's almost like the longer that you're actually able to wield power, the less the less likable you become. I mean, I don't really get Macron. He was sort of held as this revolutionary leader and came along with these exactly the same policies that Tony Blair had, basically. But he is kind of revolutionary in the in the French. Are you revolutionary in the sense of like going round and round in a circle? Is it relative to the country? Is that what you're saying? Like, yeah, like relative, contextually to, within relative France? to France in terms of changing labour laws. I mean, did, um, just like. At, at the time uh, when he was elected, I was reading The Economist pretty regularly and I'm like, oh, wow, he's like really amazing. He's exactly <laughs> what we want. And it's like, yeah, so what handsome. you wanted was what a lot of people have voted against. What's um, really interesting is that after having a runoff against the Front National with Marine Le Pen, he has decided to not pivot to the centre and govern for, quote unquote, the whole country. He's governing for the people who are didn't just vote for him because he wasn't Marine Le Pen, but voted for him because he was a Europhile. And he's very much a Europhile president. That is going to harm him in four years' time. Um, and I I would be surprised if a candidate didn't come along that um, uh, usurped him and became what's, the next president. What's the election cycle for France? It's four years. Four years. Mm-hmm. And he can run for a second vote? term? Is yes, there a limit yeah. on his, mm-hmm. his run for a second term? Okay. I don't think... Is there a limit? Two years? I think it's two years, yeah. Okay. okay, so let's move away from EU politics because apart from Ireland and maybe like the general influence of charismatic leaders, it's not that important. Mm. It's EU 27 altogether. And it, it's probably important in the sense that... Um, if there is a general move away from EU integration, because you, you mentioned in your notes the Italy thing, if there's a push towards, if if uh, different member states are feeling less friendly towards EU integration, that does probably weaken the solidarity of the EU 27. But in terms of how that actually pairs down to the nitty gritty of trade negotiations, I'm not really sure because so long as the team remains the same and so long as the sentiment within Brussels as a, an individual kind of closed off unit remains the same, Mm. then I don't necessarily think it matters. And obviously Brussels is kind of infamous for not caring that much about what's going on outside of its, you know, perimeter anyway. So Yeah, but in saying that whatever is agreed has to be ratified by the different parliaments. That is true. Yeah, that is true. So maybe it's something to talk about in a year's time after they actually get the... the We will see you guys in a year. (laughs) That's kind of my thing about the negotiations is that there's an awful lot going on every week, but from uh, the average citizen's point of view, I don't know why you'd care because Mm. you can't influence it. So Mm -hmm. like... If there's another... If there were to be another referendum... It's Michelle Barnier against David Davis. Pretty much, yeah. mm. And I I think what the... They kind of look the same. No, they do. I think. I mean, uh, yeah, little, old, old, men, old, old white men do tend to look the same. That <laughs> just tends to be how it goes. Yeah, I'm I mean, afraid. like, why would I distinguish between them being such a different to that myself? Yeah. Um, okay, you're look. better looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not great yet not, either. David Davis is a serious hotter. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, wood. 
You've lowered at my perceptions, it, it's, man. It's centrist and right-wing cons- like men in politics. I, I mean, Justin Trudeau, Emmanuel Macron, I can see. Sharp-faced men. Varadkar? Would you? Varadkar? No. No? Don't be stupid. Reese Mogg. Oh. But Leo Varadkar, probably not. No? Really? No. You, a lot he's of people got that Irish chum. Yeah. He wears nice... <laughs> he wears nice socks. I have seen the socks. Yeah. He's got lovely suits. Yeah. Good suits. Suits and socks, not enough to keep Jazz's attention. What are we going to talk about next? <laughs> the negotiations. The actual scope that has to happen is that I think before Christmas this year, they have to actually agree like what the terms of the breakup are going to be before the March severance. Define that. Like, uh, like, like, I mean, they haven't though. No, they haven't. But before the end of this year, like, even, like, okay, so March, Definitive trade March 2019 and, and is Brexit because it's two years after Article 50 has been triggered. But built into the, the, the considerations of that is that they actually have to agree what the breakup terms are going to be before the end of this year. All terms. Like All everything terms. has to All be done. Okay. So how many months is that now? And Shit. that's not going to happen. Seven months. Less than seven months. And so months. does this feed into your earlier point of you not thinking this is going to happen? So so what I think is going to happen is uh, we're going to be, there's going to be an extension of the transition period, quote unquote. Before the transition period can happen, they have to actually get to an agreement on this though. But then how? But then how does um, next March actually, uh, like, w- what is the process that occurs then? If they can't come to an agreement, then we just drop out. You just drop out. But I don't think that the EU is going to allow that to happen either. And I think that there is going to be a postponement of these, this kind of like ideal by the end of the year. How? I don't know. I don't know. Like this is like we're the, getting, the, this is the wonderful in, thing yeah, about Brexit. It's never happened the, again. Yeah. So we're making shit up as we go along. We're not necessarily doing that. The reason that I say it's two years in March 2019 is because built into the Lisbon Treaty of Article 50 is that you have to leave two years after you trigger Article 50. But Article 50 is like two lines in the Lisbon Treaty that was never actually meant to be used. And so kind of like the legal... Written by a British um, diplomat as well. Yeah, yeah. The irony is wonderful. Um, uh, But there's no kind of like... I I don't really see any kind of like legal implication that means that this 100% has to be adhered to. Well, legally it probably has to be adhered to, but diplomatically No, but legally, according to who? According to people who would probably quite... According to the law of the European, <laughs> according to the law of the he's of the East, so he's bringing he's, in that logic Steve, stuff. He said legally according to the law, and that makes so much sense in my head. <laughs> See, am I conservative? He said he's, he said legally according to the law, and yeah, of course, legally according. That makes sense. I mean, did I already say Brexit think, means Brexit? Oh shit! <laughs> he said it. Steve, Steve, Brexit does mean Brexit. Does it? I don't know. Does it? Am I conservative? <laughs> well, we've already established that Jimmy isn't actually conservative. Okay, I'm going to do a 23 and me test after this to see if I'm conservative. <laughs> <laughs> Spit into a vial, just to make sure. Gentlemen, continue. I mean, it, it does sound cheap, but like what the law says and what will actually happen are two different things. And it really, from my point of view at least, depends on diplomacy more than mm. anything else. Because as you say, we are in uncharted territory. There's no, not been test cases as it were as to mm-hmm. how the law actually pans out but then because of European law the ECJ kind of gets to European this. Court of Justice yeah. okay thank you was, sorry the, the Supreme Court of the EU okay yeah like that's what kind of feeds where the Lisbon Treaty kind of feeds up into so that's where those lords will ultimately end up getting decided how they're 
implemented and 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 Brexit is kind of like the first example of this. Um, uh, and so the way that the ECJ interprets this is kind of going to determine how much flexibility is I in this know. whole process. I mean, the only way it's going to go to the ECJ is if they bend the rules of the two-year, like, get-out Mm-hmm. Like leaving the EU, but thing. that's going to happen. I don't know. If it's it will. not going to. We. Uh, Why, what? 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 Like, okay. What makes you think that the EU are going to let that happen? Are going to let us fall out, or is going are to let gonna, it go up, let it up to the extended. ECJ? Yeah. Um, because they don't want the UK to fall out either. Mm. Nobody, nobody wants there to be no deal. You're looking at it from on the paper, right? on the economic point of view. Yeah. I mean, on the economic point of view, but also... Also, pol- the political point of view. Yeah. yeah. They don't want the UK to fall out. Why? It's inconvenient. In what sense? In the sense that it causes various legal and diplomatic problems. Diplomatic as, problems, I mean, as, as like Brexit, economic problems. To be honest, but um, it, it's not... What do you think? Speaking, what do you, what do you guys think? Okay. My, my understanding of the EU perspective is that one of their core objectives in past perhaps even their primary objective is to try and show that it is not an easy or good thing to leave the EU. Mm-hmm. And I think that part, part of their... So do you think like uh, the best case scenario for that is a... a is the UK falling out? Yeah. No, well, not necessarily, but... But then, the, but then that would be the ultimate best um, uh, representation of that ideology, right? Perhaps, Yeah. And I, I, I don't, I, I don't believe that the EU and the negotiating team want that. And I think, given the opportunity of extending this and technically keeping the UK and the EU for as long as possible, at least adhering to standards economically, um, uh, is in the best uh, interests of both parties. Let's roll it back now. Um, mm. Let's go back to EU, UK politics before mm. on the UK side of it. The UK government the cabinet as it stands and even before um, the election, they can't agree what they want to see happen. Agreed. So <laughs> what are the EU supposed to do? Like, I mean, they don't have anything to work with as it stands. If if it comes to the point that we get to the end of this year and there isn't an actual like proper agreement to move forward into a transitionary period, what do you think the EU have to gain by letting it just continue to go on? To actually challenge their own... Treaty it, to challenge their own Lisbon Treaty, which is the core treaty holding the EU together. Why would they let? Why would they let that be challenged by their own court? Well, different commentators have pointed out that the EU does specialise in eleventh hour agreements. So, it's you know from this point of view, it's not. I, yeah. So I think that's that's two different things. So, eleventh hour agreement would be a deal before March 2019 yes. to allow a transition thing to happen. It would not be allowing it to fall off and be extended past March 2019. So I, th- uh, I think we've been talking past each other. Jazza is raising a single finger. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I, I think that um, the agreement that happens at the end of this year, something has to happen. But I think that that agreement... The UK have to leave the EU. At the end of this year, we leave I mean, the EU the in March next have, year. Doesn't really have to leave. We don't have to leave the EU. We could, we could get to Article February, Fifty can be the reversed, end of February, and we could say actually we don't really fancy it. Can you though? Yeah, 
They can revoke it. I there, think, I think we there probably are, there are no, no, I, There's I, no precedent for this. They can officially I, 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 revoke yes. Article 50. I, I, totally, the, I totally get, like, see, I, I get they, that. They, they, I get that that's an option, but is that something that would realistically happen? No, it, won't, it won't happen. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and, it, it, but that's then the reality. It yeah. won't happen in March next year, but what I think is going to happen is that the agreement that has to be agreed, uh, like the terms that have to be agreed at the end of this year, 2018, there's going to be a allowance in there for there to be an extension of the um uh, of the transition period i think that that is the only way that the uk doesn't drop out of the eu and nobody this was wants a pre-transition transition period yeah 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 it becomes ridiculous right. i agree it becomes so ridiculous. So the gray area becomes an even bigger gray area yeah, become- on paper the, the thing about the transition period thing is that it's being it's being rolled into the idea that the uk have kind of got one foot in one foot out they don't they basically have both feet out with a tippy toe like little tiny baby finger steve is now gesturing a baby EU. finger <laughs> what i mean to say is that they are out but they have to adhere to all the rules of staying in the eu without actually being in the U- e- european union yes that is that is yeah. what it's going to be yeah. Yeah. They're, they're not going to have a commissioner they're not going to have a vote of the european yeah, council yeah no i agree they're this is all stupid of the eu yeah this is all stupid yeah so so yeah we no longer have meps we no longer so oh, well, I mean, we don't have a commissioner right now like he's already been revoked. he's already been recalled yeah at the, in, in this situation you're still subservient to the trade and immigration yeah but they're you're, even you're a rule, a rule they're taker, out of the rule maker, yeah. was the phrase goes. So we weren't disagreeing at all. This entire, the, this entire seven-minute argument wasn't a disagreement. But, but, <laughs> herein lies the, but herein lies the complexities of this whole thing, right? Yeah, I thought we were disagreeing for ages, but we're not. We're not. <laughs> we're, just, we're just like wading through murky waters, basically. Yeah, so you guys have been chatting about Brexit. This has like been like a foundational element to your podcast for the past year. Mm-hmm. Like this is Long literally how you, yeah, yeah. No. But it's like mm-hmm. how, it's, it's literally how you open and start your your podcast. Mm-hmm. You guys talk about this every week, and it's almost how you're defining this. It, it tends to creep into even the most arcane subjects. Yeah, I'm I think sure. Yeah. We, we actually, I think, try to avoid Brexit as much as possible. I'm sorry about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually, I, I love talking about talking with Jimmy about it. Um, uh, because it's nice to know that I do disagree with him with some things, mm. but um. It's really important as like we're, we're a UK also global politics current events podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's important. It's important that we acknowledge that Brexit isn't the only thing that's happening. Like there are other podcasts that speaks exclusively about Brexit. And I think that that um, unfortunately has dominated the news cycle mm-hmm. and has meant that a ton of other issues have gone like overlooked over the past couple of years. And I find that very frustrating as somebody who follows politics as well. Mm-hmm. And that uh, like, for example, homelessness and the housing crisis cannot really be tackled unless until we like get out of the EU because it's the EU that is stopping us from being able to build houses, mm. according to some people. So do you feel completely disenfranchised by this whole conversation? Not this specific conversation. No, I think you guys are lovely. We're charming. Like we're, we're, we've already agreed we're raising a family in Bristol yeah, together no, no. so you can get an Irish passport. Exactly. That's been established. Exactly. It's going to be great. The firstborn's going to be called Maria. I didn't agree to that, but go on. <laughs> it's a boy. Right. Okay. Um, uh, it's, I, it's 2018. The boy can be called Maria, okay? I, I, find it very hard, I, I find it very hard to be anything other than a spectator, and I find that very frustrating. Right. Um, beyond, Do you feel just, you don't have any agency over this? Like you've Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so we had the... During um, the Brexit process. In yeah, general. the Brexit process in general. You kind of, as a citizen, you can only kind of view... you Beyond protesting and beyond... Mm 
tweeting angrily at my local MP, there's very little How that I can do actually that? do. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Steve, do you know what the, the sound of a shit-eating grin sounds like? <laughs> you can package that and sell it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, what you just heard was a shit-eating grin, ladies and gentlemen. Um, my, I recently changed constituencies, but my old MP was Lynn Brown from Newham, and I used to tweet her uh, quite a lot. Um, and did she ever did she ever respond? She responded once um, to ask me to confirm whether or not the Liberal Democrats were in fact campaigning in Newham, and I said yes, they are. And she went interesting, and then ignored me. I love the idea of you tweeting her going, "Hey, you up?" Like in the middle. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, pretty much. Yeah. I was just hazing her. Yeah, nice, nice. But do you feel like do you over the course of the trajectory of your podcast? Because this is a this is like mm. a thing weekly basis you're crystallizing your thoughts mm. onto an audio format if you look back just say you were to speed read all of your your podcasts over the past year how has your perception how has your feelings on this whole although these whole proceedings changed have they evolved at all have they changed at all are you more chris are you more galvanized to your opinions now yeah so when the vote happened i actually about a month before the eu referendum happened i was actually unsure and then i i I ended up on the leave side because I thought the... The episode where Jimmy comes out to me as a leave voter is a particular <laughs> gem. I, I, have a, I have a breakdown. You've for betrayed me. On air. Yeah, no, it's literally that. See, I was unsure because the economics of remaining in the EU make total sense. Like, I, I don't believe the kind of global trade kind of angle that the leave campaign had. It is such bollocks. It's, it is, yeah, it from, is the from, most from, annoying part of, from the, point of from the point of view of somebody who doesn't really understand economics yeah. very well, it doesn't seem it to is make like sense. The EU is literally criticised every single day by the opponents of globalism as being the worst component of globalism in the neoliberal order. And then you have these neoliberal globalists trying to sell Brexit as a pro-globalist neoliberal yeah, yeah. project. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So but the, the democratic deficit argument, I think, is relatively okay, yeah. sound. Um, I.e., the EU, even though it, you can argue it is democratically accountable, and it, it probably is in certain ways, like ultimately the EU Parliament, which is directly voted for. Um, by, so we got some crowd reactions there. <laughs> <laughs> the EU par- Parliament is directly voted for by EU citizens across the entire bloc, um, can veto everything. But in practice, the level of scrutiny is kind of dubious. And also because turnout in uh, MEP elections is so low, there's not really a sense of an EU kind of polity, if you like. Like there's there are there's a small number of people, including Jazza, who see themselves as European citizens, but actually the majority of people don't. And I think that's a serious problem in a in a parliament. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's ultimately why I ended up voting voting leave when it comes down to it. You can get some slight um uh uh, like greatest hits of Jimmy's and I's um, conversation over the years um, in that I, I've heard him say this and I understand it and I understand that there is democratic deficit in the European Union but I also see, actually see worse problems in the democratic deficit in the United Kingdom mm. with uh, an, unele- an unelected and bloated second chamber and with a first-past-the-post system that is nowhere near representative of how people actually vote. And a monarch. That's, I mean, a, that's a whole other podcast. I don't want to bring in the monarch because me and Jazz also agree, disagree about that. I, mm-hmm. I want to remove the Wait, monarch and he oh, wants to keep I the monarch. I forgot. Oh, thanks. <laughs> that's, uh, Sorry, I thought we were going to have a unified front here. <laughs> but okay. I'm really into Liz. Oh. Liz! 
But uh, Her Majesty Liz. <laughs> so, you, but so you didn't uh, watch The Crown, as we established in the last podcast. Yeah, I know, because it's a bastardization of my <laughs> my crowned head of state. Netflix and chill with the Queen? No, thank no, you. No. <laughs> as you said earlier, people are complicated. Um, <laughs> Jazz are the most of all. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, to answer your original question, I originally sort of was very soft leave, and since the process has gone on, the the way that Remain politicians have kind of reacted to the whole thing has generally soured my opinion of the whole process in that I was soft leave, and now I'm like fully, fully leave. Really? Like, just because like, I understand people voted Remain. I think there were a lot of good reasons to vote Remain. I think people were sincere in their vote. Thanks, but, Jimmy. Um, not Jazzers. Jazzers were bad, but other people had good reasons. Um, but just, just the way like politicians have reacted... I I tend to take a more, and this leads back to the monarchy thing, Republican kind of view of how like Woo-hoo. democracy should work in that I think you're there to represent the views of your constituents ultimately. You're not there to, you do have to make some judgments, I accept that, but like I don't think you're there to override the overwhelming sentiment of your constituents. And I just think that Remain politicians generally have done that. They They think, some of them... If you're a, you're a Remain MP and you're in a constituency that generally vote Remain, that's fair enough. But I think other other politicians have taken a very high-handed view of like, you're the stupid people that know nothing about politics, so fuck off, frankly. We're just, we're just going to make this decision for you. Mm. I accept that there's a huge range of, of people. And I, I also think that even the likes of Anna Subri, who's like a, a Tory Remain MP, I think she's totally sincere. I think she wants the best for her constituents. But I still think that if there's no fundamental consent there to actually be part of the EU, that's the end of the argument from my point of view. So Even if it's going to harm people in economic terms or whatever other terms you want to bring what up. What are the odds of there being a second referendum? Uh, percentage mm. chance. So, so I, when the original vote took place, I actually tried to look at the base rate of like... Uh, in terms of when you want to predict future events, you say, historically, how often has this happened? And the, the, when Britain has called referendums in the past, it's always respected the vote, um, like 100% record. Which I think, actually, to our credit, is a good thing. Uh, until, 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 until the Brexit before. referendum. Well, well the, the Brexit referendum, when, the, when referendums on EU membership or EU treaties have taken place, Generally, a second referendum has taken place with a slightly renegotiated stance. Like in France and, and with Ireland. And Ireland. Yeah. And oh, you, we're you, so tired of them. Usually, <laughs> the EU has got its way. So you can yes. you can see that from those two things entirely disagree with one another. I still think we will leave, but I think the, the most likely result is some sort of fudge because that's the way the British do politics ultimately is that you kind of... So it's soft Brexit. Probably. So... In a complicated way, I think there's going to be a soft Brexit that leaves a door open for us to kind of like cipher back in into full integration. Yeah, I, 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 I think it's going I to be like very difficult to have the same terms that we had before because I think we had really brilliant terms. We were able yes. to, be, we were able to not be part of the eurozone. We were able to be oh, like we had a, the second largest number of MPs tied with France. Um, a rebate. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I think that the only way for people like me to get our way is through a second referendum. I'm not okay with reversing the democratic will of the people just by the 650 people who sit so in parliament. So what percentage chance would you put on there being a second referendum in the next five years? Yeah, I, uh, low? Very I low, don't, very low. I don't know. Um, 
I mean, the, 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 part, the, part, part the circle, whole argument the circle, of, of Remainers is that the referendum was really divisive. So having another referendum, which will inevitably be way more divisive. Yeah. The circles um, that I'm in yeah. see, seem to acknowledge that it has to happen. Um, A second referendum has happened. Yeah. In the next five years, I think is actually relatively likely um, because of dissatisfaction with the people who are running Brexit. Because I think Brexit, I've been disappointed with how much more ingrained Jimmy has become in his Brexit views um, because I don't think we're getting the kind of Brexit that he would have originally envisaged. Although, to be fair, Jimmy has always been but very a second loose. referendum, what question could you put to, to, to I satisfy mean, it'll, it'll all, be, it'll all be some, you know, variation of, really... This ultimately is the problem because it was an in-out referendum. You voted out, but what out? But I, um, you, you voted out, but sorry, we voted out, but all of the... Uh, <laughs> Steve and I did not. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to implicate you in all of this. <laughs> but, um, you would have had to vote if you were here, Richie. I didn't. I thank God. Yeah, yeah. No personal responsibility. No, it's okay. It's plausible deniability. We're not in the I was in California. Off, Irish citizens got the vote, um, which is kind of weird when you. Jer, yeah, Jer voted. Wait, India is in the Commonwealth. Did Indians have the vote? Is India still in the Commonwealth? Indian citizens in the UK were able to vote. In the yeah, because an Australian guy and you also voted. So, um, but yeah, if you. It's were, only it's, some Commonwealth nations as well. It's generally the more white. It ones. was anyone on the, anyone on the general election roster could vote. Basically, so which meant that also the Isle of Man, for example, wasn't able to have a vote. This is so yeah. fucking complicated. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, welcome the Isle of Man. Welcome to welcome to the UK. The Isle of Man is Dominion of the United Kingdom, but not actually part of the United Kingdom. I forgot what we were, what we were talking I, about. I think, that, we but I think that's pretty indicative. That's the one I'm Yeah, it's pretty indicative. One of this podcast, but two of also the subject matter of what we're talking about right now. Jazza, you said that there are soft border options that are used in other countries that you can bring into the Northern Irish border. Yeah, the, the, the Swedish-Norway border is the example that I'm thinking But they're of. part of the custom union. Norway are part of the custom union. Um, they are, and they, they want there to be no customs or customs divergence between Northern Ireland and Ireland. That, you think that can happen? I think something can be fudged. Mm, we, um, me- uh, we mentioned those people called the DUP. Yeah, that would that would be cataclysmic to their to their entire to the, being. The, to the reason that they exist. Yeah. Right? And in fact, I I I host another podcast called Newsy, and yeah. a couple Wait, of weeks what? ago, it's good. What you were on my first episode? You're cheating you? on me. No, you were there. You're cheating on me with me. <laughs> <laughs> and I talked to uh, Sarah Creighton, and she is a solicitor based in Belfast, but she's also part of the unionist persuasion. And she explained to me the different factors in a very articulate 30 minute conversation. Holy crap, that lady knows her stuff. And she explained that it just, it is cataclysmically against the unionist ideology, even the soft union. It's like the most open, well-meaning unionists who've got nothing against Irish people, but still the idea of them having such a core difference between Northern Ireland and Britain is just against what they are. But then, so this is kind of, where the Northern Irish question is super important. So you because, think, you think, because if that, I, I don't think there's no possibility of there being a hard border. We can't go back to those days. I, um, <laughs> like, no, we can't. Like, it's a decision. It's a, deci- the it's on- a decision. The, the, the that London then, government has a decision. Do they want to hang Dublin or do they want to hang Belfast? Um, or do they want to hang London? And I think that at the end of the day, we have to hang London. So what, what like, and what? what? Uh, by having the UK not diverge from the EU. Oh. In huge amounts either. Sure. 
Okay. I mean, in, and I think that that's ultimately the answer. In regulatory terms, I don't actually think there's a lot of appetite to diverge from the EU. Mm-hmm. Like it, is, it doesn't really make any sense, broadly yeah, speaking. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the whole um, chickens dipped in chlorine has kind of scared people of having any kind of no, I mean, uh, not, not agreement even, with the United not States. Even, no, no, you guys no, ran out of chickens a couple of weeks ago. We heard about that. That was serious yeah, news. Yeah, it was big mm-hmm. news oh, everywhere. Sorry, guys. I'm so sorry. Also, I heard as well that um, apparently there's like EU regulation around um, dog food. Uh, oh, how it, yeah. Yeah, did you hear about this? It's like apparently there's EU regulations around the, the, the compounds that go into dog food manufacturing. And part of that regulation basically has stopped from dog poop from turning white. Do you remember when dog poop used to be white all Like the time. it used to oxidize once it like once it was pooped out and it would turn white and that's based on the no, dog food. I, I would, 100% that remember that. Yeah, but all of a sudden it stopped. Yeah. EU. EU. Yeah, EU but regulation. Also, but also they want us to have straight bananas and I'm not about that. Is that it? Did we solve the whole Brexit thing? Uh, no, but that's... I'm basically not happy. No, I'm not going to hit stop it. until please we solve it. it. No, help. <laughs> can conquer them. Let's, let's... I'm down. Let's, let's I will, I will lay, I will lay there with a white flag. You can come over. I'm, I'm into it. <laughs> Jazz, Jazz wants an Irish passport. He's been gunning for it basically since we got to his apartment. I'll be honest, so. it's not just uh, like any EU. <laughs> Oh, so if it's you, not just me. Sorry. If you I'd also be down. You misled me earlier on. It made it Aww. seem like I was the only one, but okay, You've whatever. Also got nice eyebrows. Oh, it's, it's so, uh, I guess that's where we'll end on Richie's heartbreak. <laughs> you gave me a compliment on your eyebrows. You didn't take it. I wasn't listening. Yeah, you had nice. Yeah, you have nice eyebrows. They're okay. I, that's How the perfect. Jimmy, shut <laughs> One second. Jimmy, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Okay. Jimmy, shut up. We're having a moment. We're having a moment. I'm solidifying this relationship. You know what, Jazza? It's off because of Jimmy's comment. <gasps> Brexit. Jimmy ruins it. We again. just seen Brexit. We just seen Brexit <laughs> happen in front of us. I'm Brexiting from this relationship. Oh. Where can people find you guys? Online. Online. Yeah, where can people find you? Uh, I'm uh, individually at Jazza John on Twitter. I also have a YouTube channel where I talk about politics through a queer perspective. Um, uh, you can find that um, at Rhyming with Oranges or just type Jazza John into the internet. Hey, wait a second. Nothing rhymes with orange. Exactly. I'm doing <gasps> the impossible. What? 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 Mind Jimmy, where can people find you? You can find me at JDE Nichols on Twitter. And where can people find you collectively? At Right Dishonor, also on Twitter. Um, also, if you write dishonorable, but spelt in the English way. The reason I'm calling this a close, I need to pee so fucking bad <laughs> that I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm calling it to a close right now. So thank you guys Thanks for, for coming on. It's that been really, stuff. really, really good. Yeah, it was fine. It was fine. Where can people find us on Twitter? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Let the man pee. No, Richie, where's, what's our Twitter address? What I'm P at P.P. Richie, what's our website? P at P, 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 P. Who, who else do we have to thank? P. I'm gone. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.